0: Good morning. My name is Alex. And if you don't know me, I'm the administrator here at Fellowship Church. Um, I've lived in Florida since 1984. Um, I graduated from Lemon Bay High School in 95. And uh, when Pastor says, this is our town. It is. It's our town. We love this town. And, you know, my wife and I, we've made it our town and uh, we just love it here. And it's just an honor to serve here with you. Uh, Pastor Gary and I spoke this morning and he gave me a little prep talk and gave me some encouragement this morning, which I definitely needed. And his advice to me, which has been always since day one, and uh, it's always been a struggle because it's one of my biggest things, he said. And this is a guy you all know, if anyone knows Pastor Gary, even here or anywhere else, he's a million miles an hour. His advice to me always is, slow down. (laughs) Slow down. Just, Just slow down. And, you know, so he told me to slow down this morning, and I didn't tell him this part. I practiced this a couple times yesterday. The first time it took me eight minutes. So I have to slow down. I'm going to slow down and uh, we're going to have a really great time in God's word this morning. Today we're going to talk about who Jesus is and who Satan wants you to think he is. Today it's, uh, we're, we're looking mainly at the book of Colossians. And Colossians was a book written to the people of Colossae, which was in Asia Minor, and, uh, which is modern day Turkey. And they were dealing with a lot of different things that we're dealing with in the church today. And uh, today's message is all basically about who Jesus is. And, you know, that, that song that Mitchell did special for us this morning really spelled it out well. He is God. He is God um, incarnate here on earth. So uh, thank you, Ray Ray, for being here this morning. We can, let's, let's go. So in Colossians, we're going to start here. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? We're asking again, remember, who is Jesus? We're asking that question this morning. He is our deliverer from darkness. And he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood and even the forgiveness of the sins. He is our redeemer. He is our forgiver. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? He is the very image of God. When uh, the apostles were looking at Jesus, they were seeing God himself. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in the earth. That, that part is in there, because remember, we're talking to Colossians, and part of the problem there, they thought that material things were evil. The body was evil. So, the, he was he, Paul here was pointing out to the Colossians that, well, God made it. Jesus made it. It's not evil if God made it. Uh, let's see here. that all things are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. So Jesus Christ is our creator. In the very beginning there in Genesis, it says the word was above the water. And then later in John, Jesus is described as the word. Jesus is our creator. He actually made us who we are today. He is before all things and by things, all things consist. Jesus is the crazy glue that keeps this universe together. He made it. He can break it. Only he could break it. And it's only going to break when he's ready for it to break. So he is what keeps it all together. He is the head of the body, which is the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things he might have the preeminence. He is the first risen from the dead. Some people might go, wait a minute, what about Lazarus? He rose from the dead, he died. Who did it? Lazarus didn't do it. Jesus did it. Jesus had the power to do that. Only God has that power. For it it pleased the Father, that in Him should all fullness dwell. All fullness dwell, that's, that's kind of indicating, that isn't kind of it, it is indicating that He is fullness in God. He and God are one. And by having made peace through all the blood, through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, say whether things be in earth or things in heaven. He made peace with God for us. He reconciled us to God. This is who Jesus is. And you that were sometime alienated by enemies in your mind, by wicked works, yet how he has reconciled. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Satan's a liar, though, unfortunately. We got a problem. Because all that stuff is what Scripture says. It's throughout the Bible. It's God's word. We need to believe it. But we got a problem. We got a very convincing liar here. Who is Satan? We talked about who is Jesus in, in John 844. We see Ye are are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer, so Satan's a killer, from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Liar. He is the speaker of a lie. He speaketh of his own, and he is a liar, and he is the father of it. Lies. He is the father of lies. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the nations which is another word for lie to the nations of them, which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God should shine upon them. And the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives, which lies the whole world. And he was cast out unto the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And the devil that deceived them was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where the beasts and with the beast and the false prophet and where they are and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. We know the end of the story and that's that's the end of the story and that's where Satan ends up. And we praise God for that. But we need to deal with him here and now we deal with him every day. And uh, his lies are the things that are trying to shake our world day by day in little ways and new ways uh, every single day. Because he's the enemy of the gospel and the church of Jesus Christ. And sometimes the, the best ways to attack something isn't necessarily head-on. You start chipping away at its foundations. You start chipping away at the family. You start chipping away at, his, at Jesus' son, at God's son, Jesus. Start making people uh, doubt. Or make him a really good guy. Make him a prophet. Make him somebody who's just really wise. Or even in some faiths, make him the number two guy. Maybe not the number one guy who gets you to heaven, but the number two guy. So... Satan's really good at twisting and turning and he doesn't come at you head-on. Because if he comes at you head-on, you see it coming. So what do we do? We have to deal with this whether we like it or not. In Ephesians, we're encouraged to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. Why put on that armor of God? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against the spiritual, wicked and high places. Our battle isn't just against flesh and blood people that we run into on the street or people we argue with online, which is in the air, I guess. But there, there is a spiritual warfare out there. And unless we're prepared, unless we have our heart in God's word, we're not going to be ready for it. And we're not going to be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. Be sober and vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking with whom he may devour. We can't sleep at the wheel, because he's always looking for someone to ruin. Satan's all about creating doubt, though. That's his number one arrow in his quiver. He loves to create a scenario where you start to question and doubt things. That's the problem much of the world today. almost anything but Fact. I'm not saying people are out there intentionally creating things, intentionally causing doubt and destruction, but they're doing it whether they know it or not. And that's the truth. We, and so often, I'm guilty of it, and we're all guilty of it. We listen to things, we see things, we see something online, and we share it without thinking twice about it. It not, might not be true. We need to be diligent about being honest and truthful, especially as Christians. If we tell people we're Christians, we don't want to be spreaders of false word. The Apostle Paul dealt with this kind of Gnostic perversion in the, in the book of Colossians. Gnostic is relating to knowledge, especially esoteric, mythical knowledge. It was a blend of uh, Christianity, uh, Greek thought, uh, pagan thought. Everything was kind of at those, the, the crossroads there, where a lot of cultures met there at, at Colossae, and things were blending together, and the water was getting really muddy, and Jesus was getting lost in that water. This deadly deception, deceptive virus was attacking the church in Colossae just like it is today. Salvation could only be obtained through knowledge, being superiorly intelligent. And faith was something silly and useless because it was something that you couldn't materially prove. We deal with this today when it comes to our creation. People believe in evolution, and I guess that's your right to do so, but... Frankly, if you do the honest research on it and you don't read, if you read between the lines, the words the, even Dawkins books and people like that, there's a lot of maybes and ifs and we thinks there's no real scientific proof. Science, science is something that you can repeat and prove over and over again and it becomes scientific law. Evolution hasn't been proven once and they teach it like it's honest to goodness truth, but they act like our belief in something different is silly. And a joke, and were openly mocked by Bill Nye, the science guy, and people like that. The goal of man was twofold, depending on which side of the Gnostic fence you fell on. Asceticism was to avoid all joys and abuse your body for the promoting of the spirit. When I say abuse, I mean, you guys have probably seen on the news where people whip themselves, they hurt themselves, they maim themselves, they torture themselves. This is in somehow looking for a, a moment of, of spiritual clarity in their agony while they. Uh, They butcher their own bodies. Or Epicureanism, which is the fun one. Everyone just, if it feels good, do it. And that's probably the more popular one in most of the world today. And that one will lead you down the same exact path. But who is Jesus? The lies of Satan. Satan's deceptions. This is how he gets to us more often than not. He uses enticing words. And... Colossians 2, 4. And this I say, lest any man should be you with enticing words. Words you want to hear. Just because something sounds good, it doesn't mean it is. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are suckers. Myself included. I've listened and heard stuff and like, wow, I didn't know the scripture says that. Well, guess what? It didn't. When I did the research, it wasn't there. We have to be so careful. So often people will go down the road of, of uh, listening to somebody On the radio, on TV, they'll read a book, a feel-good book. And then when things don't line up the right way in their lives, they don't blame the author. They don't blame themselves for not doing the research and looking in God's Word to make sure it's supported there. They blame the one who deserves no blame. They blame God for their hard problems. So let's, you know, we got to always refer back to God's Word. If it's not in there, it's not of Him. Study to show yourself approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. For you have therefore received the Christ, Jesus the Lord, so you walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in faith that ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. How does that happen? You're doing it right now. You come in the church. Thank you for doing that. I say thank you a lot. And I might drive some folks crazy, but I say thank you because I know you could be anywhere but here this morning. And we're grateful for you being here. And I, and I hope you're going to come out feeling a little bit better today about yourself and, hope, and having a little bit a little more strength. But we need that. We need to be together in God's word. We need to get together. And that's why Pastor Gary has been so deaf on not meeting. That's why we stayed open for this reason, so we can be strengthened. Because he said to me, when, when people stop dying and going to hell, we'll, we'll shut down church. That was his view. So... That's why we stayed open, that's why he stayed strong, and we followed him, and we're grateful for that now. Philosophy. He was worried I was going to go off on the Gnosticism thing, because I read a lot about stuff like that. But in truth, the philosophy thing kind of pricked my heart this week. It was funny. Because so much of philosophy is learning more and more about less. So finally you know everything about nothing. Philosophy is something that's interesting. It's it's funny because... I'm not knocking people who are thinkers, who question. We should question. It's good to question. Anything worth believing is is going to hold up to the questions. Um, but I thought of it this week. I've been blessed for the last month and a half or so to have my grandkids at home. Uh, my daughter's been working from home down here, and we've had them a lot. And I ha- most of my conversations with my three-year-old granddaughter go, Why is that? And I'll give her an answer, and it always ends up with, Why? Well, this is why, and I, I don't like to. I've never dropped the well because I say so. I don't like to do that at all. I like try to give answers, and after a while, you start running out of answers, and you end up asking the question that she started with, and then she'll look at you and go, "Why?" You asked a question. It's your question, but that's what philosophy is in so many ways. I've read some some Kant, and I've read uh, other people. I guess who else was a really big mark uh, was a big philosophy guy, Marx, Karl Marx might have heard of him a little bit. But philosophy is, uh, here's a good example of philosophy. So much of it's like a blind man looking for a dark room with a black cat that's not there. There's not, like I said, there's nothing wrong with asking questions and digging deeper. We should. We need to be doing that. But some of these questions that are asked is just, the questions are designed to set up a preconceived notion that the person asking the question already has, if that makes sense. They start, they're starting here and they plan on ending here. But philosophy comes from the angle of trying to be open-minded. And uh, it's important for us to be truly open-minded and and to ask those questions. Romans says, So then uh, then faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. And thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Entrance of thy words giveth light, and giveth understanding unto the simple. Even I can understand it. We're very, very blessed to have God's word. We need God's word. And without it, we would be lost. I don't know how pastor talks up here without drinking. This is something. All right. So the traditions of men. This is a big one. And this is one that I know I had to deal with. I was uh, born and raised a Catholic. And, man, we went to church. Um, my, My mother was very faithful. I wasn't an Easter or Christmas Catholic. I was an every Sunday Catholic. And uh, I went through CCD, which is kind of like the youth group the Catholics put together. And I did all the catechisms and all that stuff. And uh, the traditions of men are something that you can really get tangled up in if we're not careful. In Colossians 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. The devil is delighted for you to have your faith your way. What does that mean? How you cut your hair, someone telling you how to live your life, someone outside of Scripture just deciding to make up rules. You know, you have to wear your pants a certain way. You can't do this. You can't do that. There's there's freedom in Jesus, and there's freedom in Christ, and those man-made rules so often will get us tripped up, and it will become more of a ceremony than an act of worship. I remember I can only speak for myself as, as a young boy going to Catholic church. I called the calisthenics. Because we would kneel, sit, stand, kneel, sit, stand at the same time. I could have done it with my, I could have done it with earplugs and um, blinders on. I knew the timing of it, and it was just something that we did. I had never felt God in those moments, and some people do, I'm sure. But I'm just saying for myself, it became a tradition. It became something we just did. You can be full of religious tradition and empty of the spirit of the living God. Galatians reads, and a prophet, the Jews religion above many, my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous in the traditions of my fathers. This is Paul writing to the Galatians. Paul here is writing to them. And this is him talking about himself. Paul is the guy that was Saul. And before he was Paul and he was the one there at Christ's death. And he was helping uh, do like the the bedding over Jesus clothes. And then we know the story on Damascus and all that stuff with Paul. Uh, but this is the same guy. He was super zealous in the traditions of his fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, not talking about being born there, but he was separated from his family's traditions. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's what we got to be careful of. Titles. We, talk, we start talking about different things. You've got to be so careful about these traditions that we get wrapped up in, and they become more careful, uh, more important than Jesus. We have to be careful because, I mean, people come along and they, they, they put things in place. And after a while, those places can become stumbling blocks. The message of Jesus is so clear, so pure. It's, it's so easy to hear and, 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 and absorb. But then if you ask the average guy on the streets, well, there's this I have to do, and there's this I have to do, and then there's this, and then there's this. Well, those are our roadblocks that we've created for them. And we'll talk about that in a second. Legalism. Legalism. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of any holy day or any new moon or of the Sabbath days. The devil is tickled when church and believers run on man-made rules. They were hung up on diet and days. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat, we are better, neither if we eat not, are we the worse. But take heed, lest any man means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. What was right? What he was writing here was about they were dealing with people eating meat from idols, idol worship. They would they would you know, sacrifice an animal to some babble babble or whatever. And then the excess meat would go to market. And then they, you'd have the kind of I guess in a way you'd look at it as a kosher and non kosher version of that cut of meat. Well, some Christians, it was cheaper to buy the non-kosher, and people were buying it. People weren't offended, but some people were wanting that, that kosher cut. They were, not, they were wanting animals that were not ever, ever sacrificed to a pagan idol, and they were really, there was becoming a rift within the church. And what, what was written here was saying it's not necessarily a sin to eat that meat, because it's not a real idol. They're praying to a piece of wood like saying, you know, it's evil to pray to a tree. It is evil, but it's the, the animal itself wasn't tainted by it. You can still eat it. But the second verse here is saying, but you have members among you that are less mature in their faith. That was that's the wording I've seen more than anything in describing this verse. And they're saying, OK, if you're offending people, if you're hurting people, if you're pushing people away from Jesus, if you're causing a riff in the church, stop buying the meat. Buy the other meat. Make everyone happy. It's an easy fix. It's not worth the fight. Legalism is man-made rules. can give an outward appearance of spirituality, but the practices can never change your heart. This makes me think of a meme I saw this last week. You guys know what a meme is? A meme is like the, the picture with just the words on it. There was a there was a debate years ago or there was a meme or a meme or whatever. No one knew how to pronounce the word, but I guess it's a meme. And it was uh, people were it was something with a mask. And there's a lot of debate about masks right now. And it said, it was actually on a church one that said people concerned about wearing masks. Many of you have been wearing masks in church your whole life. I was like, "Ouch! Uh, that's stung. Because it's true. People people walk so spiritually and they do this and they do that. And my wife used to work at Walgreens. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say who. I don't even think they're here with us anymore. But she one time was working and she heard someone just blessing out an employee for no good reason. And she turned around a corner of her eye. She saw somebody from church. And she was like, oh my goodness, thank goodness not wearing a fellowship t-shirt today. That was her her biggest thought. But it was the truth. We walk around and we can act so spiritual. But then sometimes that mask slips. And we fall. And we fall hard. And we push people away from Jesus. Because you might be the only Jesus someone meets today. You might be the only Jesus someone meets for the month. Maybe they're going to die in a week. We don't know. So we always have to be the best us we can be. Legalism is so popular because you can measure your spiritual life by it. You think you can anyway. And you can even brag about it. I do this and I do that. I was on this or I was on that. We've all done it. I know I have. I have to catch myself. Measure this. Till we all come into unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's that saying there? Is that we really need to work on this as a church. We need to work on this together. Because until we all work on this, we're never going to be perfect. But until we work on this and we know where our problems are, it's going to keep happening. The church is going to continue to get hurt, deceived, and then we're going to have some problems. Because God is big on God and how we love each other. That's why Pastor Gary went with the saying, we love Jesus and we love People, We're all about Jesus and people. Jesus first, people second. At the very beginning of the message today, that was what we were talking about here, about um, loving God and loving others. Matthew and Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love the neighbor as yourself. For all these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if you're out there and not acting like a nice person and you're telling people you're a Christian, work on that first part first. And then, and then start spreading the word a bit. Because if it bleeds through, it doesn't shine right, people aren't going to buy it and you're going to push them away. Push them away from the Lord. Please know this. Who Jesus is. And whom are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. For in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was, he was God in body, but as many that has received him to, him to them gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. We are the sons and daughters of God. Jesus himself said some stuff, and here what we see in Mark 1462. He said, now remember, he's talking to the high priest here. This is like towards the end of his time here on earth, uh, you know, before his crucifixion. And he's being, he's been arrested um, and he's being kind of on trial here. And he's talking to the high priest. And Jesus said, I am in a response. I am is also seen in John eight, confirming that he was God and I am comes from Exodus 3.14. The reason why I pointed that one out is because there are a lot of people out there that will say Jesus was just a good prophet and he was a good man or he was a good philosopher or he was this or he was that. Not the son of God. They skip that part. They don't believe that part. But Jesus himself said I am that he was God. And if this and if with the rest of what I'm saying here, he said it. And if it's not true, then he's none of the other things. He's a madman. He's either a madman or the son of God is savior of the world. And, then he, and then, he's, then he went on to say, and this is the part that really pushed the, uh, the religious leaders over the edge. And he shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power. He is sitting on the throne with God, equal in authority. Now he's talking to. Now this is about the time when the guy is starting to tear his clothes apart, because he's talking to the guy that gets to go into the holy of holies once a year, and they have to tie a rope around his ankle because if he goes in there and sins in any way, shape, or form, God will strike him. Then they got to drag his corpse out with a rope. Jesus just said, "I can go in there and sit on the uh, the Ark of the Covenant, no problem. I can do that." And coming in the clouds of heaven, only God is seeing in the clouds of heaven the Old Testament, in Psalm ninety-seven two and Job twenty-two fourteen. So Jesus Himself was saying that He, who He was, He said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me." What has Jesus done for you? And we're wrapping it up pretty quick here. And you, being dead in your sins and, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. He's forgiven you everything if you've gone to him. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took us out of the way, nailing it to the cross and having spoiled principalities and powers and made shew them openly, triumf- triumphing over them. Jesus openly did this, he proclaimed it and then he showed up after he had died. Who are who you are in Christ. ye are complete in him, which is the head of, prin- of all principality and power. Buried with him in baptism there and also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Who is Jesus today? That's the, that was the question. And, I, and I, hope, I believe most of you have had a good idea about it. But the idea is today we have to put on that suit of armor, that spiritual armor to help defend ourselves. Because the world today is a crazy place. We're listening and hearing things on the news that just aren't true all the time. Because there's or or it's true, but said from a perspective, your perspective on things matter. Your perspective is your foundation of the beginning of every argument you hear every little bit you hear. So we have to be so careful of our perspective of Jesus. We can't have our faith shaken when someone comes along that's really well spoken or they can quote other scripture and they can deceive us. They can make us doubt. And that's why we have to stay in God's word. So today I'd just like to give you a chance in case you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior and then we'll be done. We'd like to pray with you this morning. If you've never accepted the Lord, uh, Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. He rose on the third day. And I'm not expecting you to understand that. I'm not expecting you to, to be able to grasp all of it. But he said, come to me as a little child with, you know, there's not a ton of understanding, but there's faith there. And we'll build on that. We'll build on that faith. And I just call it the ABCs of salvation. Accept the fact that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Accept it. Believe it. The B part is believe that. I'm not saying understand it. I'm not saying to be able to sit down and argue with, with somebody over it. But believe in your heart that he died on the cross for your sins and that they choose. Choose heaven over hell. You have to make a choice. When you leave here today, you won't be able to walk out of here going, well, I don't know which way I'm going to go. You're making a choice even by not making a choice today. So I encourage you to make a choice today, choosing Jesus. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for blessing us. Thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. I pray, Lord, that someone's heart was softened today and that they would accept you today as Savior and that they would pray along with me today, Lord, and just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned. Even one little white lie exempts me from heaven Because heaven's a perfect place. And I'm not allowed there because I've done one little thing, Lord. And I believe in you. I believe, Lord, that you died on the cross and rose on the third day for me, Lord. And Lord, I choose you today. I ask you into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Lord. I ask you to to make me new, a new creature in you. And Lord, I just ask this all in your name. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being here today. God bless you. Have an amazing rest of your week. I wasn't too far off on time.